Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 312 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading John chapter 19 today, the crucifixion of Jesus, and our focus is on what were Jesus' last words and what is the single most important word in the Bible. So you've heard me say it before, if you've been listening for a while, our goal is to get you and others involved in daily Bible listening, hearing, thinking, pondering, meditating, understanding, and obeying. So please allow me to invite you to share the show with your friends and neighbors, either on social media or by word of mouth. And if you could leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, that would be fantastic. Welcome to new listeners in Yaoundi, Cameroon. South Holland, Netherlands, Parts Unknown, South Africa, and Bangladesh, Hamburg, Germany, Dublin, Ireland, Adawa, Qatar, Odisha, India, British Columbia, Canada, Monterey, California, Knoxville, Tennessee, Wichita, Kansas, Montgomery, Alabama, Greenville, South Carolina, Naples, Florida, Phoenix, Arizona, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Boise, Idaho. Our website is Bible2021.com. That's Bible2021.com. And every episode of the show has its own blog entry that serves as a transcript of the show. Eyewitness testimony is pretty interesting because several different witnesses can all watch the same event and come away sharing different perspectives, even though they may all be telling the truth. What we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, is four different accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And there are notable, I guess we could call them differences in these accounts, the exact kind of differences you would expect from several different people describing the exact same thing. Former homicide detective J. Warner Wallace says this about eyewitness testimony in the Bible. If it was God's desire to provide us with an accurate and reliable account of the life of Jesus, an account we could trust and recognize as consistent with other forms of eyewitness testimony, God surely accomplished that with the four gospel accounts. Yes, the accounts can be messy. They are filled with idiosyncrasies and personal perspectives, along with common retellings of familiar stories. There are places where critics can argue that there appear to be contradictions, and there are places where each account focuses on something important to the author while ignoring details of importance to other writers. But would we expect anything less from true, reliable eyewitness accounts? I certainly would not, based on what I've seen over the years, says Detective Wallace. The early believers could have destroyed all but one of the accounts, changed the conflicting details, or simply harmonized the Gospels so that they all made sense together. But these diverse accounts were preserved just as they are because they are true. They display all the earmarks we would expect in true eyewitness testimony. If the early church had eliminated the four eyewitness perspectives and limited us to one tidy version, we would have inevitably missed some significant detail. Now, I bring bring that up because the four gospel writers all record the death of Jesus, but there are different possibilities as to what the last words of Jesus are before he dies. For instance, Matthew 27, 46 says, About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, 
that is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick and offered him a drink. But the rest said, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. All right, compare that to Mark 15, which is remarkably similar to the Matthew account. Mark 15, verse 35 reads, When some of those standing there heard this, they said, See, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled the sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a stick, offered him a drink, and said, Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. Now, both Matthew and Mark, Mark's source was the disciple Peter, seem to agree that the last spoken words of Jesus were, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. But they also agree that Jesus let out some sort of a loud cry right before dying, but they don't record what he said. Was it unintelligible or was there another reason? Let's keep going because when we get to Luke, Luke seems to give us wording for that last cry. In Luke chapter 23 verse 46 says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. And finally, we get to the account of John that we'll be reading today, John 19, 28 through 30. And this is what John says. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then, Bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. So this account seems somewhat different from the others, but when you read them all together, they're all quite remarkably similar, but not so similar that it appears that these four witnesses sat down, compared notes, and came up with like a sanitized, harmonized story. Now, certainly some parts do seem harmonized, like they came from the exact same source, for instance, Matthew and Mark's description of the whole Eli, Eli, Lama Sabdak, Sabaktani incident, but the other parts seem quite original without signs of any sort of effort to conspire to produce an exact story that matches in every detail, which, as Detective Wallace has told us, is exactly what we should expect in reliable, genuine, authentic eyewitness testimony. But that doesn't solve the problem of our episode, which is trying to determine what were the exact last words of Jesus. Now, I can say, obviously not being there, I don't know for sure, but it does appear that we can piece these four eyewitness testimonies together into one cohesive narrative, which is called a harmony, because none of the accounts contradict each other in any way, and honestly, they all seem to fit together really well. As such, I think the following might be a good reconstruction of the final moments of Jesus. And I'll read you what I put together. And when I say I put it together, I'm using the exact sentences from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I haven't added anything. So this is possibly, combining the four eyewitnesses, what happened. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, and someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a stick, 
offered him a drink and said, Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. It is finished. Saying this, he breathed his last. Then, bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now, my guess, again, it's only that, is that the last word of Jesus was the Greek word tetelestai, which is translated as it is finished. So three words in English, one word in Greek. I believe a case can be made that this is the single most important word in the Bible. It is massively important, loaded with deep, eternal, life-altering meaning. So what is the significance of this one single incredibly important word? Let's tag in Pastor Tim Keller to help us better understand. He says, the last thing Jesus says as he breathes his last is, it is finished. If you've ever heard a sermon or have studied this or heard a teaching on this, the teacher will probably always tell you that Jesus is saying one word here, and it's the word tetelestai, and it's a word that means totally paid. It's a word in the first century that you would write across a bill. If you had a bill and it said you owed money and you had paid it, totally redeemed it as it were, the merchant would write tetelestai across that bill, meaning it's paid, it's accomplished, no more debt. Do you know what Jesus is saying? One of the great paradoxes of history is here that Jesus Christ, by the world's standards, is absolutely helpless. He's totally defenseless. He can't even scratch his nose. He's utterly powerless, utterly dependent, utterly impotent, out of control, and he dies in this incredible helpless state. And do you know what his last words are? His last words are, I did it. I've done it. I've triumphed. I've accomplished it. It is fulfilled. Well, what has he accomplished? Well, 1 Peter 3.18 and other places tell us Christ died for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So when Jesus says to tell here's what he's saying. He's saying, I've traversed every inch. There's an infinite chasm between you and God, an infinite distance, and I have gone every inch. I have paid it all. I have accomplished it all. There is nothing more for you to do. I have brought man and God together to tell us die. The debt is paid in full. And that's why I believe that might be the single most important word in the Bible. Let's read our passage together. This is John chapter 19, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and clothed him in a purple robe. And they kept coming up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping his face. Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns in the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate responded, Take him and crucify him yourselves, since I find no grounds for charging him. We have a law, the Jews replied to him, and according to that law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? 
You would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. From that moment, Pilate kept trying to release him, but the Jews shouted, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's seat in a place called the Stone Pavement, but in Aramaic, Gabbatha, and it was the preparation day for the Passover, and it was about noon. Then he told the Jews, Here is your king. They shouted, Take him away! Take him away! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Then he handed him over to be crucified. Then they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign made and put on the cross, and it said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, a part for each soldier. They also took the tunic, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, Let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who gets it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that says, They divided my clothes among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. This is what the soldiers did. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there. So they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Since it was the preparation day, the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a special day. They requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken and their bodies be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other one who had been crucified with him. When they came to Jesus, they did not break his leg since they saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true and he knows he is telling the truth. For these things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Also, another scripture says they will look at the one they pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus's body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took his body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. They took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths with the fragrant spices, according to the burial custom of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. 
They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for giving your life for our life. Let's close with our Bible memory passage for the month of November. It is John 14, verse 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. Tomorrow, the resurrection, my favorite thing. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.